here. The time when both shadows and evenings grow longer, while our time with the sun's rays withers between our fingers. We've reached the time when my ancestors would have prepared feasts to honor and sacrifices to appease. For even they knew, long ago, that a monster was on its way. A grotesque beast of barren fields and empty bushels, a creature called Winter, an unstoppable force. And with each winter comes death, and with each death, the veil between the living and the dead seemed to thin ever so slightly, revealing a land of rot and ruin, a purgatory just beyond this mortal coil. And in these darkened times, we are taught to be vigilant of those changes to beware of the monsters and find comfort in the dark. For we know it is now that the veil is the thinnest. It is now that we tread lightly, for this night marks the beginning of spooky season. And do I have one hell of a creepy show for you this evening? A perfect premiere for this deadly season. So to kick us off, we begin with a monster from Ethan in the state of Louisiana. Hey Derek, this is Ethan from South Louisiana. And I'm calling to tell you a story about my girlfriend's uncle and I I know you said you hate whenever people uh tell a secondhand story, but I thought this one was too good to be left unheard. So anyway, he was a hunter, an avid hunter. You know, during hunting season, he was out every weekend doing as much hunting as he could. They weren't very well off, so, you know, the meat mattered. They needed food. Anyway, so he was out in uh, Honey Island, which, I mean, I know a lot of people are probably familiar with the Honey Island Swamp Monster. Anyway, so he was in that area. He said he was out there one day. He was hunting, and uh, he was, you know, just out in the middle of the swamp. It's very desolate, nothing, absolutely nothing around that area. I believe he had already killed something, but I'm not 100% sure. He was about to wrap it up. It was it was Sunday, he wanted to go home. It was his last evening hunt and he was out. He said nothing suspicious happened. It was, it was a normal hunt. And then he rounded a corner of cypress trees and uh, he said he thought he saw a bear. It was 
down on all fours. It was giant. He said it was the biggest bear he had ever seen in his life. We have black bear down here. But uh, he said he, he thought it was just a large male black bear. He said he, he whistled at it. And he, he had his gun ready just in case it charged at him. Typically, black bears aren't, you know, aggressive. But he had his weapon ready just in case. Well, after he whistled at it, it wasn't facing him, it was turned around. He said that's whenever its arm reached onto the tree that it was sitting next to, and it stood up. And he said it was every bit of seven and a half to eight feet tall. He didn't give a description as to how wide it was, but he said it was massive. And he said as soon as it stood up, turned around, looked at him and it just proceeded to walk off like nothing happened that's the day that he quit hunting he went home he was obviously distraught they asked him what was wrong he wouldn't tell them uh and then some years later he just decided to tell one of my girlfriend's brothers so his nephew and his nephew told me and he said he'll never forget it and it's the reason that he does not hunt anymore uh, and it was the scariest thing that had ever happened to me. So anyway, just thought I, sh- I should uh, share that. Thanks for what you do. <laughs> Thank you, Ethan. The it stood up part is chill-inducing. Could you even imagine? You're out on a hunt. You come around the corner. And you see this thing. Well, why don't we start off with a little history lesson on the creature. For those of you that aren't familiar, courtesy of the man who first witnessed the creature, well, his granddaughter. Luckily, on our tour, we are joined by author, filmmaker, and granddaughter of Harlan Ford, the man who first tracked the legendary Bayou Beast. We call it Tunnel Island Swamp Monster, but it's in the Bigfoot-type family. How big are we talking? My grandfather stood six foot four, and it was taller than him. He said it was between like seven and eight. You know, it was he was looking, you know, right at this thing, and he said it was very menacing looking. Harlan Ford, an air traffic controller, went public only when he had evidence. A full eleven years after his initial sighting. My grandfather first saw it in 1963, but there's been I've interviewed 13 eyewitnesses who have had an encounter. He's, he's out there somewhere. What would you say to the Honey Island Swamp Monster? Don't eat me. <laughs> now that short clip courtesy of Louisiana's North Shore. Now Harlan Ford made footprint castings, caught the creature on film, and even coined the creature's unique handle. But was it really an unknown creature? Now admittedly, the track cast that he made looks eerily similar to that of an alligator which live on and around Honey Island in abundance. Fake footprint-making shoes were actually found in that area, supposedly belonging to Harlan Ford. But then the video, although it very well could be, it doesn't immediately scream to me hoax. It doesn't really scream Bigfoot either, though. I've linked to it in the show notes, so go ahead and take a look. And for those that might remember, the movement of the creature sort of reminds me of Petals the Bipedal Bear from the state of New Jersey. Well, that is until some brave hunter stalked and killed him a couple seasons ago. The hero that none of us needed. 
Anyway, all of this is available in tonight's show notes, so go ahead and take a look. Oh, and while you're there, of course, they made a song about the monster. Down south was New Orleans, about 45 miles from town, where the swamp land meets a harbor. There's a legend going round. Some folks say it's evil, cast from a voodoo spell. Walks up right when it screams at night. Swear it came from hell. Yeah, they call it the Honey Highland Monster. Others saying that it's just an old wanted man. Walks in the shadows. Now, the full version of Honey Island Monster by Charles Blanchard is again available in the show notes. So the tracks are probably fake. The video is 50-50. And that song kind of sucks. So I ask you again. Was it really some unknown creature? Well, I'll let you decide that. But I did link to a documentary. A free one on YouTube, even. That explores the fake footprint controversies surrounding this case. If stuff like the Honey Island Swamp Monster tickles your fancy then go and check it out. And another big thanks to Ethan for sharing his second-hand story. And I should say I don't necessarily have a problem with second-hand stories, as long as they're good. So if you have something to share, call our hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Now there is a five-minute limit to each call. So if you get cut off, just simply call back and pick up where you left off. Now this next one takes us north, up the mighty Mississippi, to the state of Illinois, where Dalton is a ghostly tale waiting. Hi, my name is Dalton. I uh, currently reside in central Illinois. This story is relatively a quick one, but I kind of wanted to share it. I've had paranormal things happen before in my past um, while I was in high school. And I mean, to this day, um, I'm currently studying ministry, but my theological implications as to what the paranormal actually still is, I'm still a little curious about it and still don't know exactly where my thoughts lie on the matter. But this story goes where my mother and I went to take a mother-son vacation to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And one of the things we wanted to do there was do a ghost tour of one of the locations in the city. And I looked up a place, it was called Shaker Cigar Bar. This was actually a really unique place where it actually used to be a speakeasy back in the day. And one of the spots where Al Capone and his gang used to do business. Also, it is a spot where supposedly Jeffrey Dahmer had picked up a few of his victims from. But anyways, uh, the whole story goes is that my mother actually didn't want to do this ghost tour unless it was during the daytime. So I told her that was fine. We could do the 4.30 p.m. one where it was still light out because it was in the summer. Um, I remember it was, you know, it was fairly nice out. It wasn't too hot, wasn't too cold. It was actually perfect weather that day. Anyways, we start the tour. You know, everything's going on. It's during the daytime. And, and honestly, the, during this whole time, I, I didn't even really have much of a, a feeling of anything going on. I didn't experience anything like... Uh, 
dread or any any of those feelings and i felt calm almost the entire time we did the whole tour of the base level we went upstairs to which uh, used to be a brothel where people had actually gotten murdered up there and the tour guide is telling us the entire time that you know people have experienced stuff up there and people usually get the feeling of sickness or dread or just you know disgust up there and i i didn't I technically have that experience but what really kind of irked me and still I question to this day is when we started heading downstairs. Now, prior to this, I had started getting myself acquainted with these two other girls that were on the trip with us. And I was about 18 and these two sisters were about 19 and 20 years old. So they were only about a year apart. So they were pretty close to my age. And, you know, I started getting myself familiar with them. And we actually found out that we were both from all three of us were from the Chicagoland area. And so uh, we got pretty familiar with that, you know, started doing small talk and becoming friends with them. And so anyways, we start making our way downstairs to the basement. And one of these girls who I'm getting acquainted with is walking in front of me down the stairs. And as we're walking down the stairs, she's in front. And here's what had happened. We're walking down and I see a strand of her hair get pulled up almost, uh, I guess is the best way to describe it. It's almost as if, like, I had grabbed her hair personally and, like, yanked on it, but I didn't, obviously. And so I see her hair get pulled up, and it was just the strangest thing. And she looks back at me as if, you know, I had done it. And all I could do was, you know, shake my head no. And, like, I was just, I was dumbfounded. I was confused as to what had just happened. And I'm thinking maybe just because we're bouncing down the stairs, you know, as we're walking, maybe her hair just bounced up. So we finally get down and the tour guide is in front of us and she tells us to make a circle around her. And the very first thing that comes out of the tour guide's mouth is that there is a ghost down in the basement who loves to pull on women's hair. And the second that the tour guide had said that, the girl and I both instantly looked at one another and were just completely shocked. Our eyes were both just open wide. We were confused. We didn't know what to think. And... The tour guide had asked us, you know, you know, what happened, and we told her the situation, and she was like, oh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, what's his name, whatever the ghost's name was, and uh, so sure enough, I guess, supposedly, that, that is what I experienced, was a, supposedly a, a spirit, demon, whatever you want to call it, you know, it was, that is what had pulled the girl's hair. So we simply finished up the rest of the tour, and uh, nothing else had happened during the rest of that tour down in the basement. But to this day, that one incident of the girl's hair getting pulled in front of me without seeing anything or feeling anything still strikes a lot of questions within me. So, thank you. Thanks, Dalton. You know, that's an interesting one. I don't think it's all that often that someone experiences something on one of these ghost tours. I just did one last week at the Ohio State Reformatory in Mansfield, Ohio. The former prison where Shawshank Redemption was shot. I didn't see a ghost there, but the tour was amazing. I highly recommend it. I picked up a few souvenirs, picked up some information for the show, and I even grabbed this cold that you can undoubtedly hear in my voice today. But nothing the caliber of Dalton's experience occurred, unfortunately. But how about that near-instant confirmation from that tour guide? That's all the advertisement I think a tour like that needs. In fact, I'm sold. The next time I'm up that way, 
I'll be sure to give a ghost story a try. Until then, thanks again, Dalton, for sharing the entry. Okay, folks, those Halloween shirts I've been teasing have finally dropped. There's a limited number for this first run, so do not delay. Now, a restock will occur, but it won't happen until after Halloween, so consider that your warning. But as of right now, we currently have, in stock, sizes extra small all the way up to 4X. Now, these beauties featuring a Sasquatch smashing a jack-o'-lantern were designed by uber-talented Easton Hawk, and you can catch more of his work and follow him on Instagram at Easton Hawk Illustration. So pick yours up at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. And a huge thanks to Easton for the gnarly design. Now this next story is just a little bit different. Please welcome Marty from Pennsylvania to the program. Hi Derek, this is Marty from Pennsylvania. i big fan of the show, been listening for a while. I'm only on season five. I've only recently found your show, but figured out Colin with my story. My family used to own a restaurant, or well, was actually a, a pizza shop. My immediate family, we lived on top of it. That included my mother, my stepfather, uh, older brother, younger brother, and my sister. This event took place 20-ish years ago. I'm 32 now. It happened when I was about nine or between nine and 10 or whatever. But I remember this just very vividly. I, I guess I just fell asleep in my parents' room, um, my mother's room, and I came out of the apartment that we lived in. The apartment was on the second floor of this building. The first floor was the restaurant. The second floor was an apartment that my immediate family lived in. And I walk out of the bedroom, and I was in the dining room. And to the left is the back door with a set of stairs that leads down to a parking lot for you know the cars and stuff of people who work there and you know, my family. And then from the back door, um, just a little context for the layout of the apartment, the back door, if you look from the back door facing inside the apartment, you're in the dining room. To the right, you see the doorway that leads to my mother and stepfather's room. Beyond the dining room, there's no like wall or doorway. There's just a dining room, the kitchen, and then there's a doorway that leads into the living room. And then beyond that, you can see a hallway that led back to my brother's and sister's bedroom. I got up out of the room, I'm in the dining room now, and I called out to see if anybody was there. Nobody answered. So I walk to the back door, and I look out, and I see my stepfather was working on the family car. It was like a Jeep or something. At this point, I believe, I want to say it was around 10 or 11 p.m. Um, I don't think it was raining or anything like that. It was just a normal night. So I called out to him, and I guess he didn't hear me. He had the radio on, he was doing something. So I turned around and I was gonna go to the kitchen to get a drink and through the kitchen, the living room, I could see back in the hallway that led back to the bedrooms, there was a light glowing. There was a very high light that you can turn on in this hallway, but it didn't glow like this light I saw glowing. Uh, There's no windows back there until you get into like my sister's bedroom. My sister's bedroom had a big front window, but her door was closed. and. There was no way this light was coming through there. So as I start walking towards there, the light gets bigger and bigger, and it almost looked like a flashlight, but it wasn't a flashlight. And I got to about like the middle of the kitchen, and I saw my sister come out of the hallway in this little nightgown. It was like a blue nightgown that she used to wear. And she's standing there, and I realize she's glowing. 
I mean, that's the only way I can explain it. Like, the light was coming from her. She was glowing. And I called her name, and she just kind of was standing in the doorway of the hallway, and I was standing in the doorway of the kitchen, the living room. So we're maybe about 10 feet apart. I only saw, like, the top of her body, just the way, like, we were situated on the couch and everything. She was kind of behind the couch a little bit in the doorway. And I called out to her, asked, you know, what's going on? And she's just, like, tilting her head at me and all, like, confused like it was kind of weird and i started to approach her because she started to use her index finger for me to follow her so i was like okay you know sure i just started to follow and when i got halfway into the living room i was able to see her lower half and she didn't have feet she had legs but like they kind of just disappeared into like a bright glow and that's where the glow of her was originating from and it was just this bright glow and she wasn't walking, she was floating. And she started to float back into the hallway, motioning for me to follow her. I freaked out and backed up, like just kind of quickly, but I was still facing her. I didn't want to turn my back to whatever this was. And I got back into the kitchen and I could still see her just slowly gliding backwards into the hallway. And as I'm just watching and just shocked, I see that the light's getting dimmer and dimmer and then it just goes out like just complete darkness in the hallway. As soon as the light is gone, I hear a loud slam come from what sounds like outside of the apartment. So I run through the kitchen, the dining room, and I'm staring out the back door uh, where my stepfather was working on the car. And down below, when you walk down some steps into the parking lot, there was a big metal door that was used for like employees to access the restaurant. Out of that door comes my mother, my younger brother and my sister in completely different clothing than what I had just thought was her in her nightgown. I'm in shock. I was just awestruck. I waited till they got upstairs and I told them what I saw and they thought I was crazy at first, but I was shaking. I was on the verge of tears. I didn't know what it was. I, I wasn't sleeping. It wasn't a hallucination. I wasn't uh, sick. Uh, I wasn't on anything. There wasn't anything I don't know, wrong with me to make me see something that wasn't actually there. This is something that I saw. I could still see the image very clear in my head. I, don't, I have no idea what it was. I, I've posted some places on the internet. Some people say it was a doppelganger and that it was a good thing that I didn't follow her back into the hallway or whatever it was into the hallway, but it was terrifying. I could still just see coming around the couch and this glowing figure that was my sister in her nightgown just motion for me. It's it's just a very vivid image in my head that I could see it. It still freaks me out. My sister is still alive, so it's not like a ghost or anything. She hasn't like passed away or anything. It wasn't like a future like omen or anything like that. I was scared of it, but I didn't feel threatened at the time. So like, I just, I have no idea what it could have been. But yeah, I'll call back another time. I have some other stories from different places that I've lived with my father and stuff, but Thank you for listening. Hopefully, you know, this podcast keeps going on for a long time. I'm really enjoying it. And um, thank you. Have a great night. Thanks, Marty. That's heavy. The ghost of the living. Now, we've heard a story about that from time to time, but I don't recall any of them describing the entity as glowing or missing body parts. Those are both wrinkles I'm afraid I was unprepared for but I'll be damned if they don't make for a disturbing story. And I must ask, what would have happened if 
Marty had decided to follow her. I shudder to imagine the possibilities. And for your sake, Marty, I'm glad imagining is all I have to do. Thank you again for sharing the disturbing entry. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Have you ever felt stuck focusing on a problem rather than a solution? I can say from experience, when you learn how to find your own solutions, there is no better feeling. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver and make it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or how small. Therapy has helped give me the tools I need to deal with depression and trauma in a better, more healthy way. And therapy can help you unload stress, heal emotionally, and grow as a person. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, more affordable than traditional therapy, and entirely online. So you can connect with your therapist from anywhere. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And back to that spooky stuff. Now, this next one touches on an all-too-familiar subject, and one that's becoming increasingly more real with each entered sighting. Please, welcome Austin from Maine to the show. Hi, Derek. My name is Austin. I'm up in Maine. I'm going to try to make this quick, get the pleasantries out of the way first. I love the podcast, and I've been listening for a long time, and I'm also a big fan of the Cryptonauts podcast. So anytime you guys get together is always a treat. So at the time of the story, I was living in Waldo County, Maine, in a small valley town. It was very secluded. Population was only around, you know, 1,800. There wasn't a lot of big stores around, so there's no light pollution. So we would always stand on the porch and check out the stars. On this night, three years ago, my wife and I were standing on the back deck and we're looking over the hills on the horizon, which is quite a ways away. I'd have to say probably you know, 50, 60 miles. And as I'm looking out into the sky, checking out the stars because it was so clear out, I saw a couple lights come over the mountains. And as I'm watching these lights, they moved from the mountains that far away on the horizon to probably two football fields away from my house in a matter of seconds. It was a very fast-moving object, and as it got closer, I noticed that it had three lights at each point. I was listening to your podcast, Episode 9, today, and you had a caller describe a very similar craft that I saw. As it got closer, we noticed that there was three lights in a triangle in kind of a triangle shape that was blacker than the sky behind it. And as it got closer to the house, you couldn't hear this craft approaching, but the only way I can describe it is like infrasound, like a subsonic frequency that kind of it rattle, it rattled the windows to our apartment and you could kind of feel it vibrating in your chest. And as I'm looking in the sky, you know, I was thinking what a lot of people think is I got to get a picture of this. I, I ran inside and grabbed my camera and because it was so dark out and I was kind of in a state of shock and 
I was so shaky. It was so hard for me to get whatever this object was in focus in a frame. I snapped a couple shots, but they only came out black and blurry. So I put the camera down and I just said, you know, had to just take in what was happening. As it got over to the roof of our house, like I said, it made no sound other than a low droning hum that you could feel in your body. As it crested over the top of our house, for some reason, my wife and I both kind of panicked and we actually dropped down to the deck and kind of ducked down as this thing went over us. It was very, very odd and I couldn't wrap my head around what was happening. As we went inside, we talked about it for quite some time and I kind of fell into a rabbit hole trying to find out what this thing was. Um, I was looking at a bunch of articles online and we don't normally have any aircraft in that area because it's a small valley town out of the way. The only planes that we usually see are life flights going from the bigger cities to the hospital that's in a couple towns over. Other than that, it's just commercial aircraft. Now, this thing was very, very low. It wasn't at an altitude a normal plane would be flying at. I'd have to say this craft was probably the size of, I want to say, three quarters of a football field in length. It was rather large. So I'm looking online for all of this information, and I come across a craft called a Black Manta TR-3B. And supposedly it was a black ops military project that ran on nuclear propulsion. And the rumor has it that these black triangle crafts created by the military run on nuclear propulsion in such a way that it creates a plasma ball around the craft so that it can move through space with no restriction of wind or airflow. It can just glide around in the atmosphere. And as I'm reading more into this, it looked more and more like what I encountered. So if this craft worked on nuclear propulsion, then it would kind of explain the low droning hum that I heard and felt in my body and the way it was moving through the atmosphere, through the sky. Because it moved in a very straight line, but it was very fast and very steady. I dug deep into this for days. It was something I couldn't get out of my head. It was very weird. It had me shook up for a long time. And I told a couple people about it, and I got the typical, huh, that's weird. But I, I just couldn't shake it because it was so odd. Neither of us have seen anything like that before or since then. But that being said... I stopped talking about it for a long time and it was very weird because a couple weeks ago my wife and I brought it up and we're talking about how weird it was this that and the other thing and suddenly I hear another story on another podcast about a very similar craft so I brought it up to another person just the other day and then today I was listening to episode nine of your podcast and I heard that woman's story about the black triangle that just struck a chord with me. So I felt like I had to call in and share my story as well. Well, I hope you enjoyed it. And I'm always looking up to the sky, wondering when I'm going to see the next thing, because I, I know it's not just us here. And if it was a military craft, then uh, they've got some pretty wild stuff going on. Uh, hope you can use the story. Love the show. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Now, Austin touched on a vehicle we've briefly discussed in the past. 
the TR-3B Black Manta. The delta-shaped, non-confirmed craft said to be the cause of many of these Black Triangle UFO sightings. Now, some researchers claim that the TR-3B is what witnesses are reporting based on a number of details. Visually, the two anomalies look eerily similar. A large, black, triangle-shaped craft with lights on the points, and another alternating colored light in the center. It can move silently and effortlessly throughout the sky, at low altitudes and extremely high speeds. Now, these are all attributes rumored to be within reach of the anti-gravity TR-3B. That's right, I said anti-gravity. Now, if this thing really exists, this is how many researchers believe it propels itself, courtesy of Found and Explained on YouTube. So the question that is on your lips, what is meant by anti-gravity? In the case of the TR-3B Black Manta, it means a craft that uses highly pressurized mercury accelerated by nuclear energy. So the plasma is produced, which in turn creates a field of anti-gravity around the craft. It has an electromagnetic coil at the heart of its motive power system, the result of which is electromagnetic drive that interacts with the Higgs bison field at the quantum level. So an anti-gravity aircraft doesn't use conventional turbine or rocket engine technology, but instead a propulsion system that creates thrust by generating high-energy plasma. These aircraft are also referred to as flux liners. Did you get that? It's certainly above my pay grade. But from what I gather, they've essentially produced their own gravitational pull. Gravity that they then use to pull the craft forward. Think of the anti-gravity source as a hole here on Earth. Only the hole is kept at a steady distance from the object. The vehicle will perpetually fall through that hole, propelling itself forward. I'm sure that did nothing to make this concept any less hard to grasp. That's at least how I understand it. So is that what these witnesses are seeing in the night sky? As a bit of a little case study, I brought in one more Black Triangle witness. This time, it's Claudia in the state of North Carolina. See if there are enough of these details to make you think the TR-3B just might be real. Hey, Derek. This is Claudia calling from Wilmington, North Carolina. I live right on the water. We are a port city here on the East Coast, small town. I love your show so much, by the way. But Dez from, I I can't remember which episode. He just called in like maybe three episodes ago, but it made me want to call in. Um, It reminded me of this experience that I had back in high school. I'm 26 now, and this happened my sophomore year of high school it was myself my mom and my sister and i was on spring break and staying at my sister's haunted beach house which is another call i will call back and share about that house of hers Um, but we were staying at her house and it was just the three of us girls And we decided to go on a walk on the beach one night. It was probably 10.30 or 11 at night. Um, Again, it was was springtime in in North Carolina. So it was warm weather, normal night, nothing unusual about the weather at all. But we were 
walking our dog on the beach, and it was a fairly quiet night. There, there weren't many people out there. And as we were walking, we all we were looking over the water, and we all just kind of noticed this huge triangular elongated shape over the water. And we've lived in North Carolina on the coast for a long time, so we know what a normal boat or a ship looks like, and this was not that. It was too high above the horizon to be a boat. And the size of this thing was just unlike anything I've ever seen. So it was black and dark. So it was very hard to see the outline, but it was lit up orange at three points. And the light was enough for us to see that it was a triangular shape. Um, like I said, it was, it was just too high above the horizon to be a ship. And the weirdest part about this was we, we were just standing there. We were absolutely mesmerized by the ship or whatever we were craft, whatever we were looking at. It felt like hours we were just sitting there staring at this, but it was, you know, many of your callers say it was probably just a few seconds, but it felt like forever. And all of a sudden, this thing just disappears, completely disappears and reappears in a matter of seconds so far away from where it originally was that it is physically impossible for any man-made thing to make it that far. I mean, we're talking about over the open ocean. This giant craft is sitting there above us one second, disappears and reappears somewhere so far away over the ocean. It was, it, it, it was absolutely crazy. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. It was physically impossible for this thing to be an airplane or a boat. It made no noise. I've never seen anything man-made make this type of physical movement. It almost defied the laws of physics. So again, it was huge. It was completely silent and it lit up at three different points with a type of orange or amber light. Since we were looking at this over the open ocean and at night, I don't know how far away it was, but I've never seen anything like it. There's several military bases in our area, so I don't know if it was some type of military craft, but it left us puzzled. This was almost 10 years ago, and I think about it every time I go to the beach at night. I still live in this same town in Wilmington, and I think about it all the time. It left us mesmerized. You're just sitting there staring at it, and it just gives me goosebumps to even think about it. So I would love to hear if you have any theories. I love your show, and I think I just went over time. But take care, and happy holidays. Let me know your thoughts. Bye, Derek. I don't know. It sounds pretty convincing to me. Thank you, Austin and Claudia, for those harrowing tales. And if I can find the photo that Austin referenced, you know where I'll put it. That's right, in the show notes. Now, it may be spooky season, but there's nothing scary about the benefits I've experienced from microdosing. All sorts of people, myself included, are microdosing for wellness purposes, like to manage pain, anxiety, and insomnia. Now, microdosing helps me fall asleep more easily, chill out after a long day, and overall just elevate my mood. Now, tonight's show is sponsored by Microdose Gummies by Lumi Labs. Microdose Gummies deliver the perfect entry-level doses of THC and CBD that help you feel just the right amount of good. Now, before you let three little letters throw you off your game, keep in mind that microdose gummies are completely legal everywhere in the U.S. And while these gummies do contain cannabinoids, 
Remember, we're not talking about getting quote-unquote high in that stereotypical sense. Instead, we're discussing entry-level doses to help you wind down, chill out, and sleep like a baby. I love them, and I think that you will too. Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code MONSTERSAMONGUS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show notes. But again, that's microdose.com and the code Monsters Among Us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And back to that thing in your headlights. Now, this next one is as creepy as it is brief. Jack's from Washington State. The mic is yours. What's up, Derek and Monsters Among Us Nation? This is Jax, calling via Seattle. This experience of mine took place in uh, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, in, um, I believe it was 1990, 1991, something to that effect. I would have been, um, I don't know, eight years old, probably something to that effect. And as an army brat, lived in uh, officer's quarters in a cul-de-sac in Fort Leavenworth. Our house backed up to um, a very large, large wooded area where we would, as kids, go back there and uh, dig up and find arrowheads and old belt buckles and, and, and bullet fragments and uh, all kinds of stuff. The day prior to this experience that I had, we went on a ghost tour of Fort Leavenworth, and um, I had no idea, especially living been living there for about a year, that um, it, the place was that haunted. I mean, it was literally like every other street that there was a ghost story to be told. So I'm in the shower and um, I'm getting out. I'm drying off and I'm in the upstairs bathroom to give you a setup. It's a, it would have been a, it's a rectangle room. The door would have been on the very far if we're standing at the right corner. As you were to enter there, um, you would have to take a left and um, clawfoot bathtub would have been in the far left-hand corner with a pedestal sink um, about a foot away from the door and then the toilet directly across from the tub. So I get out of the shower and I'm drying off and there's a the, the, a pedestal sink is what it was on. And um, I don't know if uh, your younger listeners will know what uh, shark bites were. It was a, a gummy snack that my mother would put in my lunch. And I received a little like um, squirting fish like the, the water squirted out of his mouth. Remember this super vividly for being that long ago. It was a little blue, like it looked like a flounder almost. But I literally watched it get picked up and levitated. Like if I was to be trying to throw a piece of popcorn in your mouth from a couple of feet away, it was thrown like that. It hit me right in the chest, fell to the ground. I looked up waiting to see something or someone. And my mind was telling me that there was going to be someone there and there was nothing there. I ran out of there, freaked out of my little eight-year-old mind, ran into my mother's room and in utter panic, told her what happened. I mean, the only evidence that I had was the little thing was on the floor. I don't really know if she believed me and uh, I haven't really ever brought it up to her since, but I think I might do that since, uh, you know, I get this quaint refreshment in my mind. But, uh, yeah, that really is about it, man. I love the podcast. I really dig it. I'm doing my binge catching up. But uh, thank you, Derek. Thank you, Jax. 
Now, if you would, for a moment, just think of all the families that have passed through that base housing. All the energy that's passed through those doors. The homesickness, the worry, the exhaustion. All that emotion bottled up in a small house. A house with rotating occupants. You know, it's no wonder that activity was experienced there. The surprising thing to me, rather, is that the activity reported wasn't more complex. But I suppose even spirits have a starting point. Thank you again, Jax, for sharing the entry. And that leads me to tonight's finale. And do I have a specimen for you? Nicole Marie from Georgia. Welcome to the show. This is Nicole Marie, and I'm calling from Atlanta, Georgia. I've been trying to work up the courage to call and tell my story, and um, I guess I found my brave today. So I'm calling to tell you about the time a ghost or something saved my child's life. So this happened five or six years ago. And this was in our old house. It was our starter home, the first home that we ever owned. It was a newer house in a very cookie-cutter Atlanta suburb. Nothing weird about it. I would never have said it was haunted or anything like that. Except for one night, I was sleeping, and I was woken up in the middle of the night. And I did not look at what time it was. But I woke up and opened my eyes and there was a person leaning over me very close to my face and my first thought was oh my god someone's in the house and i gasped and started to scramble away from it across the bed and i realized very quickly i'm not looking at a person this is something different it was a shadow but it had substance it was dark, dark black. It was not smoky or shadowy. It was three-dimensional, but it had fuzziness around it. It was like, it was like every time I tried to focus on it, my eyes were sliding away like to the edges of whatever it was. And it was kind of small in stature. Maybe, you know, I'm 5'5", and I would say it was probably about my height, slim build, no facial features, no hair, no clothes, just, just this dark black outline. So all of that realization happened in like half a second. I'm still gasping and scrambling across the bed. And he raised both hands up into the air, like a, I mean you no harm gesture or I'm, I'm sorry gesture. I call it a hymn. I don't know how I knew it was a hymn. It just, it felt like a hymn. He put both hands up and backed away. And I immediately felt this emotion like regret like he felt regretful that he had startled me. He didn't communicate in words, not telepathically or anything like that. It was just this feeling like, oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) And he took a few slow steps back away from me and I stopped scrambling and just kind of stared at him. And he walked all the way across my room into my closet and then he was gone. I just kind of sat there. <laughs> I didn't know what to think. I was just kind of in a daze, like, did I, did I just see that? And I just laid there awake the whole night. And when my husband woke up, I told him about it. And he's like, 
did you do you think it was an alien? I don't think so. It didn't have I, I would like to think that if I was face to face with an alien, I would be having, you know, this is an extraterrestrial experience kind of feeling. But my mind was screaming ghost, ghost. So I just tried to forget about it, I guess. I went about the day and that night I went to bed. I woke up again in the middle of the night. I don't know what time it was. And he was back, but this time he was sitting, almost like he was sitting in a chair near the foot of my bed. And there were three more just like him standing behind him and they were just watching me. And I laid there and I tried to blink my eyes and I tried to look around the room and I thought, I'm thinking this is a dream remnant. I woke up from a dream and I'm just seeing, you know, something that I was dreaming about. And I'm rubbing my eyes and they're not going away. They're still there. They're still sitting there. Well, he was sitting and they were standing. I just stared at them for a minute and then I went to sleep. Something made me go to sleep because how, how the hell could you fall asleep <laughs> with that sitting at the foot of your bed staring at you, right? I believe they, they made me go to sleep. So that was really weird and told my husband again. And he's like, God, this is so weird. It sounds like aliens. And I'm like, I, just, I don't think that it is. I don't think it is. So during all of this, my kids had been sick and we just thought, you know, it's just, it's a cold or it's the flu. I was raised in the nineties. So when we got sick, our parents didn't take us to the doctor. They handed you a Verner's and they put on the prices, right? And they went to work and you had to fend for yourself. And so when I became a parent, that was kind of my philosophy as well. When, when the kids get sick, we just, you know, we give them medicine, we, we wait it out and we see if we get better. So it had been maybe three or four days that they were sick and they weren't getting better. And I was like, yeah, you know, we'll see how tonight goes and we'll call the doctor in the morning if we need to. We went to bed that night and I was woken up to hands on my shoulders, shaking me awake. And I opened my eyes and looked above me and there's nothing there, but there's definitely two hands pushing my shoulders. Like it was hard. It was bouncing me into the mattress, shaking me awake. And then a man's voice shouted in my ear, he has pneumonia. And I'm looking around, there's nobody in the room. My husband was asleep to my right, facing away from me, and this voice came from my left. So I panicked and I reached over and shook my husband awake and all I said was, it's Kellen. And we ran down the hallway to his room and he's laying there gasping for air and making this really scary gurgly sound. So we rushed him to the hospital and sure enough, he had pneumonia in both lungs. He needed breathing treatments and some heavy-duty medicine, and he was okay. He, he was all right, but what if something hadn't woken me up that night? I don't want to think about it. I don't know if the voice was the shadow people, because the shadow people never spoke. They never spoke to me, not even telepathically. I don't know if they're related or not, but it seems kind of suspect that it all happened within the same week in a house that never was haunted. I don't know what they were. I don't know that they were shadow people. I don't know. But since then, we have moved and they're still around me. I still wake up sometimes and see them and they just watch me. 
and they don't feel scary. I've, I've researched shadow people and seen people saying, oh, they're, they're horrible. They feed off your energy. They're so scary. They're, they're not. They're not scary to me. I'm to the point now where it's my new normal, where I wake up in the night and I'll see a shadow person watching me sleep. And I'll be like, dude, go away. I'm trying to sleep. And I'll just go back to sleep. So I don't know. I would love to hear any insight you have about it. It definitely was not sleep paralysis because I was never, I never couldn't move. I was always able to move. And I don't think it was some kind of a dream because blinking and waking up and moving around didn't make it go away. I'm not crazy. I don't have a brain tumor. I don't know. I don't know what it is. So anyway, uh, thanks for listening. I love your podcast. I've got more stories. That's kind of all the energy I have for one call. So I'll call back later with those. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Nicole Marie. You know, this is one of those stories that can turn from tragic to happy within the span of just a few seconds. And I'm relieved to know that it went in the direction of the latter. And as Nicole Marie posited, what would have happened to her son had this entity not woken her up? How did the ghost even know? And more importantly, who was he and why was he there? Now I'm sure, like anyone, a million questions run through a mother's head in this situation. But we both know that the answers will be few and far between. But believe it or not, this case sounded eerily similar to me. I'd somewhere heard details like this before. So I did my usual digging and finally managed to find the following story. A story so similar you might struggle to believe that it's true. But the following from Most Amazing Top Ten on YouTube tells it like this. One night, a woman went to bed after putting her children down for the night. She felt something was off, but dismissed it. Hello, don't do that. Maternal instincts, you know better. Anyway, then at 4am, she was violently woken up by her covers being ripped off of her and her bed shaking violently. Some entity or another wanted this woman to wake up badly. And then she had a blood-curdling scream and then shouting. Terrified that something was happening to her kids or there was an intruder in the house, she ran into their room. There, she found her one son sleeping peacefully and her baby silently choking. She managed to clear his airway and then later realized that there was nobody else in the house who would have been screaming like that. She found out later that the previous family had moved out 50 years prior after their baby had passed away and she believes it was this baby's spirit that saved her little boy. <laughs> it's uncanny and equally horrifying to think how close both children may have come to death, only to be saved from that very plane of existence. It's an amazing tale, Nicole Marie, and we're pleased that it has a happy ending. And we're thankful that you shared it with us here tonight. Because that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us podcast is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. Happy birthday, Addie. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. If you don't mind taking a quick second to follow us on social media, we have accounts at Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Oh, and if you can 
jump on over to YouTube and give us a like and a follow. That's pretty cool too. As always, a rate and review goes a long way to help support the show. So please do so, wherever possible. And finally, that terrifying score you heard this evening was Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.ag Music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week. Now, tonight's secret entry comes to us from the medical field. Dorn from Missouri. Come on in and share your tale. Hello, Derek. My name is Dorn, and I live in Springfield, Missouri. I just recently found your podcast, and I absolutely love it. I finally decided to share one of my own stories. I work for one of the hospitals here in town, and I work overnight. So the hospital that I work at has a series of tunnels that connects all the various buildings on campus. One night, I've been called in to work an extra four-hour shift, which, you know, for me is no big deal. I'm working, I'm getting my stuff done. Finally, you know, 11.30 comes around and they tell me I'm good to go home. We lock most of our hospital down after about 10.30. So there's only one or two ways to get in and out of the building. Unfortunately, one of those ways is going through these creepy old tunnels. I freaking hate them. They give me the creeps every single time. This one night in particular, I was so freaking exhausted. I just didn't care. I'm going through. I'm getting ready to go home. You know, I go downstairs, get into the tunnels. As soon as I open the door from the hallway that leads into the tunnels, my phone and my headphones died. They were both at 100% when I left. So, you know, I'm just like, okay, whatever. There's probably something wrong with the concrete or something that's blocking the signal. No big deal. As I'm starting to walk down the hall, though, I start hearing people talk. You know, I'm looking around. I'm like, okay, well, it's probably just our EVS or our housekeeping. So I don't really think much of it. I keep going and the voices start getting a little louder. And I look down one of the corridors where it feels like all the voices are coming from. And it's dead silent. There's no one there. All of the lights are off. And the only EVS personnel are on the other side of the building. I ran as quickly as I could to get out of those tunnels. And as soon as I hit the elevator, my phone and my headphones, which both were brand new, finally turned back on. I've tried doing research into figuring out what it could have been. You know, just the whole time, anybody that goes down there, they will tell you that they get this feeling of just something that is extremely angry about you being there. 
maybe it has to do with the nuns that used to work in the hospital or what, I don't know. But I haven't been down to those tunnels since, and that was back in October. Don't get me wrong, I am a huge, huge avid believer in the paranormal, but at the same time, you know, I'm trying to look for a logical explanation behind all of this, and I just can't seem to figure one out. I do know, though, that the stretch that I normally have to walk to get out of our facility is right beneath the morgue. I didn't know that until a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to my manager about it. And she was the one that told me that a lot of people actually refuse to walk that stretch of the tunnel. I hope that this is something you can use in your show or, you know, maybe find an explanation for. But I'd be really curious to see if there are any other healthcare workers that have witnessed some of these bizarre things. Whatever the case is, thank you for your podcast. It is my favorite thing to listen to. And I hope to hear more from you. Thank you. Thank you, Doran. It's certainly creepy. And this story reminds me of another purportedly haunted tunnel under a purportedly haunted medical building. Louisville, Kentucky's Waverly Hills Sanatorium, a now defunct but once self-sufficient tuberculosis hospital which still stands to this day. And beneath her sun-bleached bones lies a tunnel originally constructed to transport bricks now sits as the passageway between life and death. Given the staggering number of patients who died at Waverly Hills, the hospital developed an infrastructure to aid in the disposal of bodies. Arguably, one of the most infamous areas in the hospital is known as the death tunnel, or body chute. This 500-foot-long underground cement corridor was used to transport bodies down the hill, where hearses and trains would be waiting to haul the bodies away. The tunnel was built underground, out of sight of the living patients. While it's unknown exactly how many people died in the facility, estimates range from six to 10,000. Now that's a clip from Mystery Syndicate's coverage on the sanatorium. And you have to imagine that a majority of those 10 or so thousand dead passed directly through that tunnel. So keep all that in mind as I tell you the following. Earlier this year, a tornado was reported in the area of Waverly Hills while a series of tours were being conducted in the building. For their safety, they were instructed to take shelter from the storm. Where do you suppose they ended up? When there's a tornado warning, we tell you to go to the safest place in your home. When you're at the Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Jefferson County, the safest place may surprise you. The sanatorium says that they were giving a tour last Friday night when the tornado warnings were issued for Louisville. For safety, they moved dozens of guests to what they call the body chute. It's a tunnel leading from the sanatorium. It's one of the most infamous parts of Waverly Hills. We actually came up with a plan when those tornadoes hit in December. I radioed all the tour guides to quickly and calmly and safely as possible to get everybody down here because as soon as we came around that corner, we're underground. So it's better than a basement. 
The body shoot was part of a morgue there. Waverly Hills says the tour guides told the guest stories and kept them entertained until the tornado warning ended and it was safe to leave. Now that clip courtesy of WHAS, ABC News 11, out of Louisville. And I hope you don't mind tight, dark spaces. And I think now, Doran, we all get a sense of your concern. So thank you again, Doran, for calling in. Now, if you're only a proprietor of this main show, this is where I leave you. But if you're a Patreon supporter, hang on. I have more creepiness in store. Now, if you'd like to join us for this bonus content, plus 50 and counting additional bonus hours, head on over to patreon.com, then search for Monsters Among Us podcast. Join up to that $5 level, and you get instant access to ad-free and bonus content. And I should say, for those of you on a budget, joining up to the $1 level will give you instant access to all of the main show's content, completely ad-free. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. And I look forward to seeing you all there. Now to kick off tonight's after show, if you will, is Brittany from the state of Tennessee. Hey, this is Brittany. I'm from Memphis. 